And I got a job as a technical recruiter my first year out of school. And I don't think you probably knew that, Eric, but I did that for a couple of years and I really loved it. And I think that's where I started to hone in on sales and really building relationships with people and clients. But there was a very interesting moment for me. It was September 11th where I, in my office on 33rd Street, watched both of the planes go into the Trade Center. And obviously being born and raised in New York to see something like that was fairly crazy. And I think everyone around us was like, how do we get by and how do we move on? And I remember standing on the corner of Fifth Avenue watching these big screens and Nobody Beats the Wiz. Do you remember that store? Nobody Beats the Wiz, of course. Yeah. So they had big TV screens and they were broadcasting live from the Trade Center. And I was with colleagues and we're like, oh God, this is just insane. It was surreal. Anybody remembers that day, even if you weren't in New York, it was surreal. And I said, everybody come back to my house. I was living on 50th Street at the time and people were trying to commute from all over. And I remember getting an email from my boss and to everybody, he's everyone needs to come into the office tomorrow. And we were looking at each other in disbelief, like everyone's telling us to stay off the streets so first responders can get downtown and we have to go into the office. People were shooken up. We went into the office the next day and I remember my boss at the time telling everybody, hey, you guys got to get on the phone. Everyone's got to start cold calling because all these companies, Cantor Fitzgerald, et cetera, they're going to need people. <laughs> they were saying, dude, they've just lost every single employee in their organization. I'm not cold calling anybody. I'm not even okay talking to people right now. And people were like, yeah, Jeff is right. And he basically was like, if anybody has a problem with this, they're fired. And I said, okay, I guess I don't have a job. And I was <laughs> fired that day. And uh, at the time I was, I was only like, what, 22 years old. So mm -hmm. I really, I was like, how am I going to get another job in what was going to be a very difficult time mm -hmm. for the economy, for the globe. And uh, I actually wound up getting a job within two weeks for an email marketing company. And that was the beginning of my career. I think about it like that into digital. Mm -hmm. And when I look back at that moment of being fired, like at the time it was crazy, but it was the best thing that happened to my career. Welcome to Worthy for 30, a podcast hosted by Eric Tash. Eric is a brand marketer who spent time in both the startup and corporate worlds. Throughout his career, he's come across remarkable leaders who set clear examples for how to do good and give back. Eric sits down with some of the most sought after entrepreneurs and C-suite executives to discuss how they're able to unlock deeper meaning in their work by infusing their core fundamental values. Worthy for 30, where doing good and doing well meet. Good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Worthy for 30. I am your host, Eric Tash. I am incredibly delighted, incredibly happy to bring on someone who means a lot to me. It means a lot to my growth as a person, as a professional. With no further ado, please welcome Jeff Ragavan to Worthy for 30. Welcome, Jeff. Awesome, Eric. Listen, it's great to be on here with you. And I've been watching all the great things that you've been doing. So I'm very proud. And it's nice to be on the other side for a change. Look at that. Jeff, for the people who are listening, is the consummate host. He has his own weekly podcast, Alchemy. He also has a dinner series with marketers called The Digital Fork. And you had an event yesterday, Jeff. Before we dig into the meat of the conversation, please tell us about it. Yeah. Yeah. I hosted our fourth annual fundraiser out in the Hamptons for 
the South Fork Sea Farmers, which is a nonprofit that I launched about five years ago. And South Fork Sea Farmers is it's an amazing community that we put together really in an effort to get more local residents in the Hamptons to be stewards of the marine environment. So we actually grow oysters in cages across five different harbors. We've got 250 families that are now taking part. And it's just really super cool because I don't know if you know this, Eric, but every oyster filters 50 gallons of water a day. And they are literally the kidneys of the sea. Uh, most people don't realize that because they eat them and they're delicious, but they also <laughs> keep our environment super stable and create marine habitat. And it's been a really fun project to work on the last five years from just a simple idea into a pretty massive undertaking. So yeah, we had a big event here yesterday and we had John Hamm eating our oysters and we had Katie Couric here and she had no idea about it. So a lot of people finding out about it, a lot of celebrities really taking part as well. So it was very successful. Although my lawn is not very happy today. <laughs> that much. It needs a lot of work. It needs a lot of help from the traction. Oh my goodness. A lot of uh, a huge turnout, which is great for an incredible cause. I saw pictures of Katie Kirk and John Hamm, as, as Jeff mentioned. Jeff, you're also living out on the east end of Long Island. You're a big fisherman. You love marine life in addition to South Fork Sea Farmers and your, and your time and commitment to the organization. But you also have a Instagram profile, Salt Life NY which is just decorated with your marine outings. What was your most, I would say, notable fishing trip most recently that you could talk about? Recently or all time? Okay, okay, all time. I know it's hard It's hard to choose. I would say all time, most amazing trip. I'm sure you remember Mike Jandel, who was our chief client officer at Buddy Media. I dragged him on the boat for two days about 80 miles offshore to the Hudson Canyon to go tuna fishing. Mm -hmm. uh, and he got very sick. <laughs> He'll never go on a boat with me again. But <laughs> it was an incredible experience. Not only did we catch almost every single species of tuna, we mm -hmm. caught tallowfish, we caught mahi, but we had an encounter with a massive whale shark that came up to the boat. And whale sharks are very docile creatures. They don't have mm -hmm. teeth. They're the largest fish on the planet. They're not a mammal. And we basically got to pet it, which is illegal. You're not supposed to pet it. But we have it on video. And it really was, it was the, one of the highlights of my life, just to this huge, incredible creature coming up to the boat. And I know that MJ loved it, but yeah, he won't ever come again. <laughs> but it was a once in a lifetime experience, that's for sure. It's a once in a lifetime experience. I think if you use that sparingly, you next time to get MJ out on a trip, perhaps Dramamine will be fully stocked for those motion sickness moments. So you don't feel sick. But that's incredible, seeing a whale shark in the wild. Now, switching gears a little bit. So Jeff, so I know Jeff Ragavan. I worked for Jeff at Buddy Media, which at the time, back in 2010, was the software as a service solution for, what was it, 8 out of 10 of the biggest advertisers who are looking to scale their social media marketing across Facebook, Twitter. I don't think Instagram was really talked about at the time, YouTube. And Jeff, I'd love for you to give the listeners an idea of your journey to Buddy Media, because when you graduated college, you weren't really focused on sales, right? You were focused on a different career. That's correct, actually. So I went to university for, I wanted to be a meteorologist. 
And it was very strange because I always wanted to be either a meteorologist or a marine biologist from when I was a young kid. Like I knew that from when I was probably six or seven years old. I was always fascinated with the sky. I always loved fishing and boating. Obviously, I brought I was brought up in New York City, but my parents had a boat. So I got mm-hmm. to do that on the weekends. And so I really was exposed to the environment. And I think that's really why all the things I love today reflect my childhood. But yeah, I wanted to be a weatherman. <laughs> I don't know why, but obviously was fascinated with atmospheric conditions. But yeah, I went to school to Oswego because Al Roker went there. And being born and raised in New York City and having Al Roker in our backyard on the Today Show, I was like, yeah, they've got a great program and it's a state school, so it's a lot cheaper. And I made my way through halfway through university and I'm like, holy shit, there's a lot of physics and calculus in this and I'm not a numbers guy, believe it or not. And so I decided to switch majors to broadcasting and mass media because I'm like, I'll just do it on TV. These guys don't have a full meteorology degree. And then my senior year, I was like, oh man, I am not going to spend 20 years of my life to make it to Cheektowaga to then maybe make it back to a big city. And I wanted to get back to New York. I abandoned shopping cart, if you know what I mean. Oh, yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, so I graduated and I'm like, holy shit, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I got a job as a technical recruiter my first year out of school. And uh, I don't think you probably knew that, Eric, but... I did that for a couple of years and I really loved it. And I think that's where I started to hone in on sales and really building relationships with people and clients. But there was a very interesting moment for me. It was September 11th, where I'm in my office on 33rd Street, watched both of the planes go into the Trade Center. And obviously being born and raised in New York to see something like that was fairly crazy. And I think everyone around us was like, how do we get by and how do we move on? And I remember standing on the corner of Fifth Avenue watching these big screens and Nobody Beats the Wiz. Do you remember that store? Nobody Beats the Wiz, of course. Yeah. So they had big TV screens and they were broadcasting live from the Trade Center. And I was with colleagues and we're like, oh God, this is just insane. It was surreal. Anybody remembers that day, even if you weren't in New York, it was surreal. And I said, everybody come back to my house. I was living on 50th Street at the time and people were trying to commute from all over And I remember getting an email from my boss and to everybody, he's everyone needs to come into the office tomorrow. And we were looking at each other in disbelief, like everyone's telling us to stay off the streets so first responders can get downtown and we have to go into the office. People were shooken up. We went into the office the next day and I remember my boss at the time telling everybody, hey, you guys got to get on the phone. Everyone's got to start cold calling because all these companies, Cantor Fitzgerald, et cetera, they're going to need people. <laughs> they were saying, dude, they've just lost every single employee in their organization. I'm not cold calling anybody. I'm not even okay talking to people right now. And people were like, yeah, Jeff is right. And he basically was like, if anybody has a problem with this, they're fired. And I said, okay, I guess I don't have a job. And I was <laughs> fired that day. And uh, at the time I was, I was only like, what, 22 years old. So Mm -hmm. I really, I was like, how am I going to get another job in what was going to be a very difficult time Mm -hmm. for the economy, for the globe. And uh, I actually wound up getting a job within two weeks for an email marketing company. And that was the beginning of my career. I think about it like that into digital. Mm -hmm. And when I look back at that moment of being fired, like at the time it was crazy, but it was the best thing that happened to my career. And from that moment on, I really learned 
what was happening in the industry. This is the dot-com bubble, right? When it burst mm -hmm. and uh, was in the email marketing space. I really started to work with a lot of brands and a lot of agencies. And then I moved into search. So paid and SEO and kind of built a business there. And then in 2007, when Facebook basically launched to the world, you know, that's when myself and Mike and Cass, my two co-founders and Eric, you were with us as well. We launched Buddy Media mm -hmm. and really put a stake in the ground on, hey, we're going to bring this to the world of brands and obviously had a lot of success. And we raised about a hundred million and eventually sold to Salesforce for just under 800 million. And it was, it was really an amazing opportunity for all of us to really have an amazing outcome, which has impacted a lot of people's lives moving up to today. So an interesting traction from meteorologist to advertising, but very right. happy what, what went down. Right. Because essentially, you're still in communications. You're still talking to people. Or sorry, you're talking with people instead of two people. If you're a meteorologist, because you're in front of a TV camera, you're talking about the weather conditions outside their front door. So again, there's some transferability from one profession to the next. But what's so interesting, Jeff, again, your progression through the ranks of sales to the chief revenue officer, then to co-founder of Buddy Media, Social Native, Philo, which we'll get to, your advisor, VC, and angel investing positions. But I'd be remiss to not mention the fact, and which is the premise of this podcast, which is talking to business leaders who are doing good while doing well, is how much of a mensch or and how much of a giver, how much of a teacher and a mentor you are, Jeff, and would really love to understand your outlook of what made you into that, into this person. Because again, it's not that, it's this, it's still current to this person and why it's so important to be able to do both at the same time, meaning pursue success while doing good and being a good person? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. And Eric, I definitely can say you uh, grow over the last, God, what, 13 years or 15 mm -hmm. years? I've lost track, but I think it's like <laughs> years already now. But Eric, you've become an amazing leader and I see every day on how you give back. And I think you're a total mensch and I love watching you in action and really just trying to help people. Almost to the point where I'm like, Eric, stop helping everybody. <laughs> but I think for me, one of the, you know, I'd say the biggest lessons was a tragic thing that happened to me back in when I was 18. I had a twin brother that was in a rollerblading accident. And back then, there were, we didn't wear helmets. The, the people didn't wear helmets when we were rollerblading. And obviously, a very turn of, major turn of event for me, just having a twin brother my whole life and then going to college and being alone. And I think that impact on me changed me as it, it literally changed me in every way. I was still very young. So I was becoming a man and becoming a person. But I think having something like that, that really is so devastating, makes you really look different at life. And so for me, I had two options. I could go to the left and go downhill and just be angry at everything. And for that type of thing happening to me and my family, or mm -hmm. go right and say, okay, you know what? This was really terrible. And unfortunately, I have the rest of my life to think about. And I really need to savor that because I really, for the first time as a young child, like it was taken from me, like my best friend was taken from mm -hmm. me. So that makes your outlook on life change greatly. And for me, I saw it as, you know what? I'm never going to take things for granted. I'm not just only going to live on the moment, but I'm also going to see how I could help other people, how I could impact other people. It made me grow up extremely fast. So I went to college and I literally was like, I'm going to do everything 
that interests me. I'm going to experience everything that I can. And uh, that was really, I would say that was my, that was the catalyst for me throughout Mm -hmm. my entire career today. That moment of when I went to school alone. And it made me have an extremely high EQ, extremely sensitive to factors that impact people. And that's sometimes a downfall for me, right? Because there, there are many times where I get taken advantage of just from being a good person. And I won't ever change. That's something that I've really realized. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get burned a few times, but that's all right. Uh, and I really do try to impact that on other people, right? If everybody just for a moment took a little extra time to think about how they could help others instead of being selfish, I think the world would be a way better place. And yeah, I think tragedy caused really what I am today. Hard to talk about, but... No, again, it's, yeah, you had two options. And at a young age, you took the option where it was, yes, I could I could be upset at the world and the circumstance, but you, yeah, you look for that silver lining on terms of like, how can I honor my brother's legacy by doing good and being good and giving without just thinking about myself, which is tremendous. Not only tremendous now, there's some people who are a lot older than 18 that are just realizing this. And you realize it at such a young age. And another thing that I'd be remiss not to mention is that your achievements in Oswego came full circle back in May of 2019. As my Jewish mothers are listening, I have a Jewish doctor on the podcast. So I'd love for you to talk about your, your achievement that you received from Oswego. Yeah. So yeah, probably, God, what, how many years ago was it? COVID really impacted the, my brain um, time-wise. This happens to me every day. I'm like, oh yeah, we just saw each other like two years ago, but it was really four years ago. So, um, 2019. I think so. I think 2019. Yeah. So three, four years, four years ago, Deborah Stanley, who's the president of Oswego, had reached out and uh, she said, I've been following your career and it's always been so impressive to see you grow and the success that you've had. And we really want to talk to you and we'd love for you to address the graduating class of 2019. And I'm like, wow, I would love to. And, uh, and then she said, we, we want to also give you your honorary doctorate and during the commencement. And of course, I was completely blown away and I was happy to accept that. And it really, I would have to, I would say it was for me, amazing how things come full circle, right? Because like I told you before, I really developed into who I was in undergrad 25 years ago. And the fact that I went back and I got to tell the story for real, no, no bullshit, just flat out. Hey, here's my story and here's how I could help you guys. And it felt really great to be up there and really impacts so many people in one single place. So talking to the entire university at graduation was like, it was definitely, it was a career highlight for me, for sure. And I loved it. It really was special. Yeah. And what was amazing watching. Please uh, refer to me as Dr. Jeff. Please refer to me as Dr. Jeff. Dr. Jeff. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. It's good to have a doctor in the Rolodex. Anytime I, I need some advice, I pick up the phone and I call Jeff. Because one thing I remember from that, from watching the video of you getting your honorary doctorate and giving the, and delivering that commencement speech, is that call to action to the graduates to develop relationships, to, to you are of service to those graduates at that moment, which is just tremendous. So you could have easily given, delivered a commencement speech like, rah, rah, let's go, let's make the most of, hope you made the most of your college experience. Now it's time for the real world. But you, again, took a step back being the person that you are 
to figure out how can I help these people more than just, again, delivering some words of encouragement, which was tremendous. I got to tell you, because I think I had 200 calls. I didn't think people were really going, honestly, I didn't think they were really going to reach out to me. I was like, hey guys, I'm on LinkedIn. You could find me. I respond to everyone, which I do. He and does. Everyone is listening. He does. Eric, literally. And of course I had to do them because I, I gave my word. I'm like, I will do a call. And luckily I scheduled a ton of them over a series of days and I just blocked my schedule. But it was great to talk to everybody and give them real guidance because a lot of people were like, I don't know what I want to do. You know, and I'm like, look, it's okay. You might not know really what you want to do until two or three years into your job. We go mm -hmm. to college, not just to study on who we want to be, but we go to college to become who we want to be. So mm -hmm. I think you really build character <clears throat> and you really get to know who you are as a person. And so I think my biggest advice to a lot of these people are like, it's okay to not know what you want to do and you just graduated, right? But the mm -hmm. idea is to take risks and explore and if and it doesn't work out, it, you can always get a new job. I think one of my biggest things to them, look, you have the rest of your life to build your career. Do the mm -hmm. things that interest you. Do the job that you want to be excited about doing because work is tough. And if you're in a really bad job at a bad company, that's the worst. So you want to do something that is really enjoyable that you could put your brand behind, right? Mm -hmm. If you're going to sales or business development, et cetera, like you're not going to sell a crappy product because no one's going to buy it and it won't be fun. But so many people had such different varying interests, which I really enjoy hearing too. Some people wanted to go into sports. Some people wanted to go into broadcast. Some people wanted to go into sales. Some people wanted to be entrepreneurs. A lot of entrepreneurs, actually. Oh, wow. A lot of young entrepreneurs. I think kids these days are very different than when we grew up, for sure. I think there are there's a cohort of people out there that even in college, they start their own businesses, right? People are building businesses of scale way earlier than we ever did, which is cool to see too. People have that energy and drive. Then you have a lot of people who don't at all, but <laughs> it was nice to see the, the various backgrounds of people in that kind of late stage of graduation. That's excellent. That's excellent. And, and building on that, you mentioned earlier in our conversation about building Buddy Media from the ground up to its exit to Salesforce. Now you're at, at Philo. You're an executive at Philo. You're part of the founding team at Philo. Has your perspective on building and operating startups changed? Has it been refined? Like, how are you approaching your current role at Philo? And before you answer that, we'd love to get an understanding of Philo and what it has to offer. Yeah. The answer is yes, for sure. I think there were many moments for me post-Buddy Media that I'm like, I don't know if I could do this again, building a company of that, of that nature and scale. Because mm -hmm. it is literally blood, sweat, and tears. Like It's a lot. And I think when you have an exit of that size, you either say, I want to do that again, or you're satiated. I think for me, at that moment, when I left Salesforce after our acquisition three years later, I didn't, I didn't have a midlife crisis, but I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And so that's when I launched Ragged Adventures, which was, you know, really just a way for me to invest in super smart entrepreneurs who are doing really cool things in business. But I'd say probably six months to a year into that, I was very bored because I'm, I'm Eric, like I'm a builder. <laughs> I like, I like growing relationships and being part of that. And I think being on the sidelines and just being able to put money into something only goes so far. 
And so I think that's where I said, you know what? I do have this in me to do a couple more of these. And so now at Philo, which is really, we're a technology company that's really helping many different types of brands, both in the traditional brand world and in the cannabis world, market in a compliant way has been a total different experience for me than any other part of my career, mainly because a big part of our business is going into a fairly risk and complicated nature of cannabis, which is federally illegal. And so the way I always looked at it is I have nothing to lose. I have nothing to lose only to gain. I could take big risks at this point in my career, but I also work with a lot of very interesting people that I would say from a chemistry perspective, it's amazing, but different chemistry than I've had with other founders and executive teams in the past. And Chad Bronstein, who founded Philo, he came up with the concept originally. We were on a founders panel in Dallas together when we got connected. We didn't know each other. We'd heard about each other. And we became extremely fast friends on the spot. That's how you know that you like someone. And we were obviously worked out a deal to for me to come on to Philo and help build it. But one of the things that I really love about Chad, and even today continue to love about Chad, is this whole nature of radical transparency, right? Which I'd say I had to a little bit, but not the way that Chad does. Radical transparency means, okay, everybody always knows where they stand on the team. Good, bad, mm-hmm. different. Someone's not doing a great job. It's up to us to make sure that they know where they stand. And those are really difficult conversations to have. And I think over the last few years, even for me, there's, you, or you're always learning, right? You're always mm-hmm. learning new tricks in your bag. And I think I obviously bring a lot of those things to the table for my team and where they learn from me, but I also learn quite a bit from the team as well. So I think with Chad, the whole concept of radical transparency was very eye-opening to me and also very important. Uh, because it really keeps people fully accountable for who they are. And it's been a really fun journey. Obviously, we started the company pre-COVID and then did our first big round of funding outside of the seed round during COVID, which was crazy because, (laughs) God, it's who knew how to navigate that, right? No one. And we actually, to date, we've raised $100 through, right, for the majority of COVID. It's been a really interesting approach. And I would say very different from anything I've ever done before, not just on the business side, but also how we've built it, how we've went to market, how we've acquired companies. Um, And uh, yeah, I think my whole thing is I love to learn new things. Mm -hmm. I knew nothing about the cannabis space, zero, prior to Philo. I knew about smoking weed. That's about it. Right? That's about it. <clears throat> but uh, it's been eye opening. And really, it's a very complicated landscape, but we made it less complicated for people. Yeah, it's a regulated industry, and each state has its own laws. So it's uncharted territory. The technology solution is making it easier for those brands to market to their consumers. And again, as you mentioned, in a compliant way. Speaking of radical transparency, Jeff, are you able to share anything that was said to you that you learned or, sorry, that you applied to your day to day? With radical transparency? Yes, with radical transparency, yes. Yeah, every day. Like really just keeping people 100% in line from a communication perspective of where they stand, even when it's a very difficult conversation. Gotcha. And is this done one-on-one or amongst the group? No, no, one-on-one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so there's that, that, that personal accountability, which is great. And again, as you mentioned, you're always learning. And so for the listeners who are following along, 
again, Jeff has been on the front lines. He's grown a, a tremendously successful business and is now on that uh, on a similar trajectory with Philo and building an, another incredibly successful business. But even in this next foray, he's still learning. He's still that student. Even though he's a teacher, he still knows when to put his student hat on, which is tremendous. Some people just default, like I know, I know enough, or I know everything. What new? Do, what are you going to teach me that I don't know? Which is not the mindset to have, which is tremendous. And I know we're coming up on time, Jeff, and there's just one last question I just want to get to, which is your participation with Startout as an organization. I remember, I think dating myself about, again, with COVID time, I think 10, 10, 11 years ago, where you gave a talk to Startout. Just want to, for the listeners to understand what Startout is and why it's important that you're involved with Startout. Yeah. Was that 10 years ago? I think so. It's no unbelievable way. how time flies. Definitely not 10 years ago. That would mean I'm really old right now. No, <laughs> maybe less. I don't know. I think it was probably more like seven years ago. But yeah, I think, yeah, that was really, that was quite an honor. Startout had reached out to me. I had done some investing with them in the past and have been always make myself available to uh, mentor and help aspiring entrepreneurs, especially in the LGBT, LGBT space. Even mm -hmm. I can't say that. It's not an easy one. And uh, yeah, they reached out. They were like, we want to give you the, what was it? 2016 Innovator of the Year Award. And I'm like, that's amazing. But what did I innovate on this year? But uh, they really were like, hey, we actually really wanted to honor you for everything that you did in this space in New York and Buddy Media. And so I, I was gladly accepted that. And it was mm -hmm. really fun. And I think on that note, like I always try to be a, one of those leaders out there that is not only approachable, but also helping people, especially if they're coming out and they, you know, they need someone to talk to. I think it's very different in 2022 than it was, let's just say when I was younger, but there's mm -hmm. still things that they need to navigate on. And I think it's important that there are more people out there that are in executive and C-level roles that are open and out and not, don't keep it quiet. I'm not out there running around announcing it to everyone, but I'm also not, um, you know, I make myself available for people. So I think if everyone did that too, we'd have more people that were successful as they're running through some tough times. Because I imagine as a byproduct of, again, making yourself available to aspiring LGBT entrepreneurs and founders, perhaps it's also, as again, as a byproduct, making the, the organizations that they're part of or that they're building a little bit more, again, more understanding, more empathetic, which is, again, which is tremendous because, again, the more understanding that people have, I imagine that the better the harmony between folks on teams is. So there's no, again, I wouldn't say ignorance may be being naive, again, which is, which is absolutely tremendous. So Jeff, this has been an incredible conversation. For the folks who want to ask you a question, learn more about Jeff, learn more about Vila, where can they go? hellofilo.com or ragofinventures.com or southforkseafarmers.org or thedigitalfork.com. Oh, we didn't even okay. talk about the digital fork, but that's another conversation. That is another conversation. So another conversation, as I mentioned, the digital fork, check it out. Jeff puts on and hosts quarterly, monthly dinners with hand-selected senior marketers at incredible, and I, I hopefully I'm getting this across, incredible restaurants. 
Not, oh, I've been to so-and-so. Eh, I'm not so excited. No. If it's that same restaurant that you've been to, Jeff will make sure that experience is unique, which is just goes, again, which speaks to his ability to host and also build relationships with the people he brings together. Jeff, as I mentioned, thank you very much for your time. And we'll be in touch soon. For the listeners, again, you heard the website links. I'll include it in the episode notes as well as in the post that I'll use to share this widely. And thank you again for your time. Thanks so much. It was great to be on the show, Eric. Excellent. Thanks for listening. Make sure to follow the podcast on your favorite listening platform or subscribe to the show Substack so you never miss an episode.